0: Small stone or other hard object in one sock heel will produce a convincing limp. Slightly larger ones in the arch of each foot will produce a flat foot walk. Detachable rubble pencil erasers or other firm but pliable articles are best for this because they do not bruise the foot so much over a period of time. Putting them inside the sock helps keep them in place. The last mentioned device also aids in m- maintaining an old age gait. Try also a tight bandage around your calf with something under it to hurt the muscle as the weight is put on the floor. This is advice from the Secret Agent's Handbook, Pocket Manual, 1939 to 1945, by museum curator Stephen Ball. This is real advice for secret agents. And what it focuses on are the small pictures. That it's easy to, like the movies, wear some kind of prosthetic makeup and disguise yourself. However, human beings don't just read faces. Human beings read a lot of cues about who you are. And when these cues don't add up, something suspicious. It's like when you get that feeling you're out on the street and somebody in the corner of your eye is moving towards you. You know that that is not normal behavior. And you can see that person moving towards you and you feel something suspicious about them. And you look up and they're smiling. And what's happening is your brain is processing a lot of information about this encounter at speed. Somebody is smiling, yet their movements and their body language betrays their good intentions. And therefore, you feel suspicion. You feel unease. You feel in your stomach, something's not right. And guess what? Something wasn't right. That person had ill intentions for you, but they were smiling. So if we were only to read the face, we would have been betrayed but we don't just read the face and that's why we're very good at reading situations and feeling something's wrong and the reason is is that there are many signs that we give off there are many nonverbal cues that human beings provide in interactions that's why for example somebody may appear plastic and wooden and a smile for example is difficult to fake They may be smiling with their mouth, but not smiling with their eyes or their body. In the secret agent's manual, one of the areas of advice for agents to avoid being outed and picked up is the gait, G-A-I-T. The gait, how we walk, how we hold ourselves. It's why when you see somebody you know very well in the distance walking, You see them crossing a bridge in the distance. You know it's that person. Even though physically they look like everybody else in the crowd, the way they walk is unique. People walk in a very unique way. And biomechanically, there are thousands of reasons for that. But ultimately, everybody has their own fingerprint of gait. And it's why that somebody who is pretending to be 20 years older by wearing some kind of prosthetic mask may appear suspicious because they may be facially 20 years older, but their gait isn't 20 years older. And so the secret agent's manual advises putting a, a stone in your shoe because that may produce a convincing limp which would be associated with somebody of 20 years to the senior, for example. There are many such advice in this book, which show just how much we as human beings read each other outside of what we can see in their face and even what they say. And where this is relevant today in communications is just how much is impacted by the COVID pandemic. One of the most important signs that we read each other through is the handshake. The handshake has existed for thousands of years. The handshake has existed since Roman times, and it existed where one soldier would give an open hand to another soldier to show that they had no weapons. And in many ways, it's probably existed many thousands of years before, before Roman times, when tribes came together, they had to show that they didn't have weapons. They had to show that they were unarmed and therefore they offered an open palm and that became the handshake. And the Roman handshake is the more macho handshake which is the handshake which looks like you're going to arm wrestle, but still a handshake nonetheless. And that's where the word upper hand comes from. The phrase upper hand, he who has the upper hand, comes from the handshake because the Roman handshake was an arm wrestle. Two soldiers came together. They shook hands to show they had no weapons in the arm wrestling style. And then they arm wrestled for the advantage. And whoever was dominant in the arm wrestle had literally the upper hand. So the handshakings exist for thousands of years as a way for us to interact in a non-violent manner because maybe interacting in this manner avoided bloodshed, avoided war. Maybe it could be settled man to man as opposed to thousands of people being slaughtered. And we've kept this tradition until today. We still shake hands and You know the feeling when you shake hands with somebody and they have a sweaty palm or they have a weak, limp handshake like it's you're shaking a wet lettuce leaf or you have the handshake where somebody crushes your hand in a vice-like grip. It says a lot about the person and you get a feeling for that person, a warm handshake, a warm reception, a weak handshake, is a weak reception. The question is, is why do we still shake hands in a digital world where people aren't carrying weapons, where we aren't necessarily out to kill each other? It's because we still need signs to read each other, to trust each other. And whether you are somebody who may be brandishing a spear or somebody who you are doing business with, we still base that relationship and interpret the behavior on trust. And the core of our brain, the amygdala, is still very much based on the programming and hardwiring of our lizard brain, the fight or flight complex, which keeps us alive. We're not here to be happy as a species we're here to survive happiness is a bonus a byproduct we're here to survive and procreate and therefore anything that we can have as a tool to help us do that at the expense of happiness is a good tool so it makes sense that a brain complex a system that responds us to threat is a a good system because it keeps us alive long enough to pass on our genes to a new generation. And we've developed a lot of that around these non-verbal interactions. How people walk, how people smile, body language, everything. The handshake is just one and perhaps probably one of the most important ones. And I'll talk about it in another podcast as well. There is a a corollary to this, which is when you are talking to strangers and you're reading them from you what you appear to believe to be your interpretation of trust and there's a great book at the moment published by Malcolm Gladwell and it's called Talking to Strangers and I talk about that in a future podcast and it's all about how we read strangers in the, in the wrong way but for now let's talk about how our default programming what happens in a post handshake world if you take away probably one of the most important non verbal cues for building trust the supply chain of trust gets disrupted and if you look around us today everything is really about the disruption of the supply chain of trust like you know look at all the news if you switch on the news today it's fake news or it's doxing or it's fake influencers or it's outrage about something that's fake or somebody said something that wasn't real or an influencer got caught for pimping a product that they didn't use this is today there's so much distrust at the moment that in part it's driven by covid because we're not interacting with people physically like we used to, and part is driven by the access to technologies that can fake it, whether that be at the most basic level, an algorithm on WhatsApp, sorry, an algorithm on Instagram that can change your face to make you look pretty, or a bot which can pretend to be or pass off as a human being and write music or write articles or communicate with you there's a lot of distrust and therefore you know the supply chain of trust the breaking of that is manifesting as all these different news stories it's all about deceit and trust it's all about outrage and people saying that you know what the hell is wrong with society now and the the under the undercurrent of that is this it's that the traditional means for us to interact with each other are being disrupted. So if you were to take away probably one of the most important tools for us to create trust, the handshake, what's left? Well, if we allow the situation to continue without replacing it with something else, what will happen is this sort of void of trust, which is just a hate-filled outraged void of negativity that we will only be more and more outraged and more and more distrustful of people or we can fill it with something positive and this is what I talk about as emotional handshakes emotional handshakes are you know, They are handshakes, but in the emotional form. It's what it says. It's not a physical handshake, but an emotional handshake. It connects people in a trusted, authentic way that the handshake used to do. I can't shake your hands anymore, but I can be more authentic. I can be more vulnerable. I can reveal more of myself. And so in the post-handshake world, there will be an increasing need for us to both skill our people with these ideas and these tools, but also to create environments where they have the green lights and the guidelines to do this. In the first case, it's training our people to act with authenticity as opposed to efficiency and giving them the green light to be vulnerable and to share stories in a human and authentic way, which may not always be perfect and accept that they may be wrong and they might not be 100% accurate to what the brand template is, but they are human and they're authentic. So we have to give a little first to allow people to flourish in an authentic way And then we have to give them guidelines and guardrails. What do I talk about? This is our brand, our organization, our culture. This is who we are. You don't have to parrot the official monolithic brand story. You can interpret it and tell it in your own way. So what it means is in the post-handshake world, for us to be more human... We have to first be less brand. We have to be less templated, be less monolithic, be less controlled. We can't have brands and humans. They are two sides of the same coin, opposite sides. The brand exists because it's a controlled, efficient manifestation of the human beings within the organization. In many ways, human beings are replaced by mascots ronald mcdonald is a clown and it goes to show that the brand of mcdonald's is a clown not a human being the human beings are inside low-paid crew and crew by the way is the word used to scrub decks in boats that's a brand it's efficient it's a machine it's where the customer is always right but the customer is always right implies that the employee is always wrong. The customer is always right is a mantra which has disemboweled people throughout the ages. What we need to do is remove that brand and remove that template and remove that manual and give people space to grow. If you see an old lady fall down in the street, you don't need a manual to know what to do to help that woman you rush over and help them that's human there is no guidebook for that you've seen it done elsewhere and therefore you know it's the right thing to do it might not be the most popular thing to do because everybody may be looking at everybody else and wondering who's going to do it first but ultimately leaders are the ones who care less about the opinions of other people and more about doing what's right And therefore, if we want leaders within our organization, we also have to reduce the barriers within the organization. And those barriers are the gatekeepers, the choke points in the pipeline that control the flow of information and the policies that dehumanize the people within inside the organization. Mission statements do nothing more than dehumanize the people inside them. Enron, for example, had one of the most famous mission statements blasted on its wall. Mission statements don't make good humans. In fact, they create walls which contain humans. What we should be doing is breaking down the walls. And if you want to humanize your brand... The, the answer doesn't lie in a strategy. The answer doesn't lie in creating a rule book. Strategies are rule books. Being more human is a conversation. Being more human is culture. Being more human is what happens in the small print every day. For example, the gate you carry when you walk. That's how I know it's you. That's how I know it's real. Not because your face looks like you, not because you're, you say you're you, not because you have a badge which has your name Graham Brown on it. It's the small pictures that we read as human beings that help us understand whether you are real or not. And it's the same for humans as it's the same for organizations. Brand is the big idea It's the opposite, it's the antithesis. Branding is over. Branding is an industrial era relic. Branding is about control. The future is about building human organizations, human storytelling organizations, where humans have a voice and they can communicate in small ways. They don't have to be telling big monolithic heroic myths. They can be communicating small things, and that small thing could be simply as just saying to a customer, "Thank you" or "How are you." It might not say it in the guidebook, but it's what we do every day, and it what make it's what makes us human. And if we want empathy empathy to shine, then it's not a skill. It's not something you can train, and it's not a course you can take to make you more empathic empathy happens empathy happens when you remove the barriers that prevent it happening and so rather than trying to find the influences and the answers and the ways of engaging people out in the market in new technologies what we should be doing is breaking down the walls That prevent all those people From engaging with us You know when we talk about brand We talk about something That is written By an ad agency Those days are gone Really Brand if anything Is being replaced by experience Experience is the small picture Stories told on a daily basis Inside the organization Become expectations of who you are am i crew like mcdonald's am i a barista like starbucks am i cast like disney those stories change your expectations of who you are and expectations become behaviors because those are more powerful than any manual or customer service guide or training course Stories become expectations. Expectations become behavior. And behavior becomes experience. So who you are as an organization becomes how we experience you. If you want to treat your customers right, you have to first treat your people right. And therefore... It's easier to focus on the big picture and pay an ad agency or a marketing agency or consultancy to write a strategy for you. But it's a lot harder and a lot more effective to focus on the small picture, the gate, the small things that people tend to overlook, but ultimately the ones that we experience you for and by. So I believe our future as business lies in a shift from brands to storytelling organizations, from the big idea to the small picture, and from branding to experience.